Welcome to episode five of Conversations That Matter, the podcast. My name is Holly Reed, and I will be hosting today's session, which is focused on occupational therapists as change agents. This will be examined in the context of where we came from over time and where we can hope to be going over the next 100 years. We will consider change agency in a generalist context and from the perspective of leadership. With us today, we have Melissa and Justine. Melissa graduated from the University of Ottawa in 2000. She began her career in Ontario, but has been a proud Northerner for the past 17 years. She lives and works in Whitehorse, Yukon, on the traditional territory of the Kwanlin Dun First Nation and the Tan Kwachan Council. Melissa has primarily worked in pediatrics and is newly self-employed. She is grateful for the opportunity to meet the needs of her clients and their families through therapeutic relationships, creative thinking, and filling in the gaps left by our health, community, and education systems. Justine will be leading our 2022 Professional Issues Forum at the CAOT conference on the role of OTs as change agents. This idea stemmed out of the recent work with CAOT Quebec chapter, whose regional director, France Verville, is promoting professional development for OTs wanting to develop and expand their skills as change agents. In our profession, the role of change agent has been at the forefront of our thinking for over a decade, including its representation in the 2012 profile of OT practice in Canada. In reality, our profession has always engaged in change agency, and we now have the opportunity to examine this more critically and practically. So to get us started, you are both self-described as occupational therapists and change agents. What does this mean for you and why do you feel the need to separate how you identify? Thank you, Holly, for the introduction and uh, welcome to Melissa. It's so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm going to get us started with that question because uh, it's something that for me and my identity, um, I've recently started to distinguish between being an occupational therapist and change agent, uh, probably in the last one to two years. I graduated in 2009. And at the time, the profile hadn't been released, but we were talking about change agency in the classroom. And it was this very high level concept. Um, you kind of got the impression that there were certain OTs at the macro level in healthcare who were doing this thing called change agency, but it wasn't really well understood. And at least as a student, I, I didn't really understand what it meant at that time. And of course, a couple of years after that, the profile was released. And, and this was such an interesting document for me because for anyone who's familiar with rules and other health professions, such as in medicine, they have um, a similar um, type of profile called the CanMeds profile. It gives you these identities that you're supposed to follow um, to really, you know, to define you as an occupational therapist. And so for those who might not remember be familiar with all those rules ot's were identifying as practice managers professionals communicators scholarly scholarly practitioners collaborators and change agents and so i found that really interesting because this was now built into our role as an occupational therapist and since 2012 i found that when i'd look into the literature or i try to look into things where ot's were engaging in change agency it was really hard to find practical examples and i feel that the really the majority of what people are talking about when they talk about being a change agent is really talking about being an advocate 
And so I, I began to use those terms interchangeably for a while, but I've, I've realized definitely in the last couple of years that advocacy is, is a component of change agency. It is, it is not, uh, to be a change agent does not necessarily mean that you're an advocate it's really so much larger than that. And for me, it's been about um, being able to connect people with large visions and really act on those visions because change agency, agency itself means action. And so, so what does that mean when I think of my identity as an occupational therapist? As, as an OT, I think that we are constantly engaging in actions that change people's lives. But I guess the key difference with a change agent is that you're usually going against the grain. You're usually doing something that is not the common way of doing things. And you're usually thinking outside of the box and you're usually trying to change a system, even if it's really small at the clinical level, day-to-day -day work, or whether it's larger, um, you know, working in a healthcare system. And so for me, I've I've chosen to separate those identities. It's not something that I, I thought for the longest time, many OTs identified themselves as being change agents. And as I spoke with people over time, I learned that I was a bit of an anomaly. So, so yeah, I'm interested in hearing what Melissa thinks about that, because for, for me, a change agent and an OT could go hand in hand, but I don't think it's necessarily one and the same. Thanks, Justine. And thanks so much, you guys, for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Um, this is such an interesting concept to me as well. I think that um, uh, I think that I identify personally now at this stage in my life as a change agent, both in my personal life and professionally as an OT. But I think that it's taken me so much time to come to understand and to appreciate that I can be a change agent, not only on that macroscopic level, but also on a microscopic level in a, in a clinical sense um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, you know, I can, I can think of specific examples where I was definitely able to bring about change. Never ever does it happen fast, right? You always have to have patience. Um, but I do, when I think back to, you know, when I graduated in 2000, I don't remember us talking much about change agency in, in school. Um, and I think that the examples of, of change agent that would come to mind back then would be those, those OTs and other um, people, you know, really doing those exceptional things on a huge scale uh, to make big changes in in you know, in communities and in, in policy and in government. And that always felt so far off and so impossible to achieve. And I, it's interesting when you talk about advocacy too, Justine, because I think that even in my conversations with other OTs, um, I think even the concept of being an advocate feels hard for a lot of us, right? Um, and one of the things that comes to mind right away is, is, and it was true for me until just recently, depending on who we work for and who our employer is, it, it can make it very difficult to be a change agent. When you're an employee, for example, a government employee, right, then you're having to balance um, that desire and that need to advocate for your clients specifically and their needs. And, and when you see the things that could be changed and need to be changed, 
However, you also have, you know, boundaries as an employee that you need to follow. And, and, oh, I could go on so many tangents, but I think of the people that I know and that I respect who were change agents in, for example, a government setting, often, I would say almost every time, also became the black sheep, so to speak, and ended up having difficult experiences because they were trying to, you know, to enact change and go against the grain. Yeah, I I completely agree, Melissa, with that that image and that reality that I think a lot of OTs are living and working in. And it's um it was interesting in preparing for this chat with you today, I began to wonder about is change agency and social activism, are they, you know, two sides to the same coin? Because there's so many similarities between what a change agent needs to do and what a social activist needs to do to make, you know to engage in, in the change process. And, and it's even more particularly pronounced right now during COVID because we've all collectively experienced so much change together over the last two years. And it's not popular to be a change agent right now because you're, you have to create instability. And, and for the most part, people are craving stability. So it's, I agree. I think a lot of uh, not just OTs, but healthcare workers who tend to try and think outside of the box will face the resistance. Um, they can put their jobs potentially in jeopardy. And it can also make it really hard if you're on an interprofessional team that might not, not might not necessarily be as receptive to change, um, that you can encounter those additional barriers and, and it can be lonely. And I think that I guess the exciting thing with the time we're living in now with truth and reconciliation awareness, with equity and justice principles and awareness is that we know collectively, we're learning collectively as a profession and as a society that we need to engage in change. And so so now comes the question, how do we equip OTs to have the skills that are necessary to be the black sheep? So that we're all black sheeps and we're not, we're, you know, we're not feeling alone. And um, there's, uh, when Holly did our, the introduction in terms of where the discussions have been had with change agency, there's some really good stuff coming out of Quebec. And uh, Annie Cartier has a 2021 publication with other authors. And they really speak to simplistic actions that occupational therapists can take to become change agents. And so I just want to share a few of those and get your thoughts on on what you think as these specific activities as change agent activities. So uh, some examples are OTs who get involved in creating networks or planning events, developing programs, writing, writing opinion papers, giving speeches, talking to the media, creating partnerships, and of course, advocating. So, so those kind of top seven examples are listed as these are day-to-day -day actions that OTs can take towards becoming a change agent. And I'm wondering, you know, when you when you see it that way, are you know, are we really, or is there more opportunity for us to be to be change agents? Yeah, that's I've been following some of that research on that coming out, and I think that in our day and age, particularly with social media that it certainly does, I mean, it, it opens up so much opportunity for networking and communication and, and collaboration. 
as well as, you know, for speaking out um, with the media. Again, though, I fear, um, fear is maybe not the the right word. I, I wonder about, again, just the comfort level of of OTs in general in using even that platform to speak out against the green. I think there's so much fear around around doing that. Uh, the, what comes to mind all the time is for me is Brené Brown, right? And all of her work on vulnerability. And I think that, that that's just a big piece of being a change agent is being willing to be vulnerable um, and, you know, and go against the grain and it's not even always against the grain. It's really about, to me, it's breaking down um, barriers. I'm trying to think of the best way to, to you know, just I, I think there's, there's, is there fear around change in general? Is it, is it the work that would have to go into, um, to implementing and accepting and working with the change that stops us? You know, examples that come to mind are, you know, in the education system, which I worked for a long time, it's it's well known that in in education, um, it takes a really long time for for people to uh, implement what's what's coming out in evidence based practice. You know, reading practices is a good example. And why why is that? Right. And I think about COVID being. um this prime example of where to me it's just this golden opportunity to implement some of this change we've seen with COVID and with um, kids being out of school the differences in how kids are adapting and it's given us so much beautiful information about the, the different needs of kids in education right and how much things have changed over time and yet it's disappointing, I think, not to see more of that, more more work to be done in, in actually trying to implement more change. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're in a place where we could really start uh, to implement some of that into as OTs also to create more change. Um, but I do think it's going to be in working together, right? I think that we need to get strength from each other as well to carry that forward. Yeah, I agree. I think strength strength in numbers, but also awareness of our own skill set, right? And acknowledging, you know, do we want to be part of the change process? I, I think that that's an important question that OTs need to ask themselves and figure out where they belong. Because it's really a spectrum of involvement. Um, as you're you're kind of giving in your example, Melissa, working in pediatrics, but you know, there's first becoming aware that there's a need for change, and then coming up with a plan for okay, how is change going to happen, and where's the buy-in? You know, where are the people around me that also believe that this change is going to happen, and then coming up with a plan to actually act on that change. And then and then kind of evaluate the change. So it, it's it's a, it's really a it's a long cycle. And depending on what you're engaging in, I think that I think it's important to have an honest conversation with yourself as an OT. What part of the change process are you willing to be involved in? Are you going to be in it from beginning to end, or is there just kind of a certain part of the change process that you feel most comfortable in, in, in staying within? And I think if if we're able to engage more in those conversations with each other as OTs, especially in our areas of practice, I mean, this is 
um, that, that's a good example right now that I, I'm living and breathing in my role at CAOT is looking at areas of practice and examining all the changes in our profession. And uh, yeah, I'll, ta I'll take a minute to kind of talk a little bit about that piece and, and the historical sense of, of areas of practice and, and change. But, you know, when our, when our profession started now almost 100 years ago, it was really, you know, we came from a place post-World War I where you where OTs were working with soldiers uh, returning from war and in the area of practice, there was one area of practice. It was getting soldiers to go back to work um, and engage in meaningful occupations. So if it couldn't be paid employment, it would be something that they would find meaningful. And it, and it was, there's the simplicity to our profession that made so much sense. But I think over time, as occupational therapy needed to define itself and make room for itself in the medical world, in the world of health, we needed to branch out and, and kind of engage in these different areas of practice. And, and that was really first seen in hospital settings where, you know, we'd go into cardiorespiratory or acute care, then mental health and community care. And, and I think with every every step that our profession has take, taken to go into different areas of practice, that's required a huge um, engagement in the change process. And, and most recently, you know, we fast forward to today, or even, sorry, going back to first went to when I graduated in 2009, I remember looking at areas of practice and thinking, you know, there's probably about a dozen, maybe 15 areas of practice that OTs are working in. And you could see that just by looking at the placement lists and, and the opportunities for where you could uh, you could do your clinical placement as a student. And, you know, right now at CAOT, we're, we're talking about 60 areas of practice, which is just absolutely tremendous. But, you know, for me, that tells me that our profession, whether we uh, acknowledge it or not outwardly, we've been engaging in change agency from the get-go. And it's it's really been built into our DNA and who we are. But I, I think it is it is something separate for us as clinicians to see ourselves as change agents. And so um, so so, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting place to be where we're in, in constant change, constant evolution, uh, but we don't necessarily consider ourselves to be change agents. Thank you both for your reflections so far. I'm finding this conversation really interesting because you come from very different backgrounds and um, experiences and things like that. And yet there's overlap in what you're talking about. So change agency not being taught in school, but then later in your careers learning like, okay, well, this is something I do at a micro level. And then there's options for like macro level, like integrating it into your daily practice and then like more of a systems level thinking. And yeah, it's interesting to hear about how, I mean, you're two of how many 20,000 OTs in Canada. And I'm wondering if there'll be commonalities among OTs in different provinces with how they conceptualize change agency, even though it's not explicitly taught in school, because we're taught about advocacy. How do we advocate with a client? How do we advocate for a client? Those types of conversations. But Justine, I, I liked what you said about advocacy is one part of change agency, but that is not all that it is. Um, so that kind of stuck out for me. And um, I'm wondering, is it possible to practice as an occupational therapist and not engage in change agency? Um, so if either of you would like to take a, take a stab at answering that question. Um, I'll go first with that one. I think, I think that, so my, my, my feeling is that some OTs would 
say that yes, they could be OTs potentially without really being a change agent. But I don't. My personal opinion is that at least on that microscopic level, that clinical level, that that that's just what we do that as OTs, right? Whether it's building self awareness in our clients and education for our clients and their caregivers and the people in their um, in their environment. Um, you know, that alone to me, that's been, in my experience, one of the areas where I feel like I affect the most change is is actually in education and awareness. Um, because it does. It does inherently bring about change. An example, again, I work in peds, right? So an example would be a, a child in a classroom having all kinds of behavioral challenges. Um, when assessment and, and other, you know, efforts bring to light challenges the student might be having, um, you know, neurodivergence and and other, or a trauma background, for example. And then that education happens with teachers and caregivers and even other students. That is hugely impactful uh, for that student, right? Because just seeing their challenges through a different lens right away changes the way that you approach the student and and how you might be wanting to support them. So to me, that's, you know, that's one of the, the biggest tools we have, I think, as change agents. And I think that for me, again, and this is personal, I think, you know, I've, I always feel like I was born to be an OT. I think it's just in my blood. Um, and I didn't know what it was until I went to school. And my mom was always actually the one who was like, you need to be an OT. But and then I got there the first day. and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is the thing for me. Right. Like this is who I am. Um, and and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but I think about also, you know, as OTs, we're we're taught to be very holistic. Right. Like we think about not just the person, but the activity and the environment. And we think about it in so many different contexts. And that's never been something I've been able to, to not do, to compartmentalize, right? So, and I think, I, you know, being a generalist OT as well, that brings about challenges in, in and of itself. So when you're in a small place and, and the clients you're seeing, you're sort of working on everything that might be impacting them. And you're seeing this whole picture, it can also become really overwhelming to the idea of trying to be a change agent when there may be so many barriers in so many different ways uh, and so many challenges. And so I think that over time, another piece that's really stood out for me is there's almost like a grievance process you have to go through where you learn to accept the things you can't change. Right? Being a government employee, I remember at one point finally just just accepting that there were things that I knew I was not going to be able to effect change with and having to just accept those and, and then find other avenues where I could affect change. And that was so powerful for me, but it, it, it was a, you know, a grieving process to let go. Well, yeah, that's powerful, Melissa. And I think it is really, it, it, it resonates with, kind of the reality of engaging in change agency, that it's part of even the risk of doing that is that it's not gonna work out. And I think for most of us, that's probably a real reality when we look at the, the I don't wanna call them barriers, but the structures in which we work. Um, 
I think, you know, to go back to the question that Holly posed in terms of can OT, can you engage in occupational therapy and not be a change agent? I, I think that's almost impossible. I, I'm not sure what that would look like. Uh, I, th I think we, it, they are inherently connected, but I don't understand why we don't see that as a part of our, our identity. I guess that's the big crux of the issue is if you don't see yourself as a change agent, but you're doing change agent actions, what does that mean? Um, and, and so for me, I think that that's what makes our profession so incredibly unique. And I totally connect with you, Melissa, in terms of I had no idea what I was going to be when I grew up. But when I found OT, it was like, oh, my God, this is my whole life has brought me to this moment. And so I completely know that feeling. Um, but I think part of that is also the change agent piece, the, the idea that within our profession, we can be and do so many things because occupation transcends everything. Occupation transcends health, wellness, spirituality, finances, education, economics. Like there isn't one area of, of human existence that occupation doesn't transcend. And so I think, I think for me, that's why they are two sides of the same coin, change agency and occupational therapy. Um, but I guess, I guess my hope and my wish for the profession, because we're talking about, you know, the next 100 years, we're coming up to our 100 year anniversary in 2026. And I would like to see that language part of our identity. And I think for, for the OTs out there who had an opportunity to review the CORECOM um, uh, survey, uh, which, which identified the upcoming CORECOM competencies that are looking to be finalized in the fall of 2021, uh, you would have had the opportunity to go through those indicators and and read them, and, uh, and 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 you would not have seen the word change agent, but you would have seen some other things that talked about addressing systems, strengths and barriers, engaging in critical dialogue, advocating for alignment, um, trying to influence the profession. So there's definitely a lot of language that speaks to the role of change agency. Um, but I really do hope that we know that's what we're doing and that we can be honest about that because I think this really impacts us when we look at wanting to get on extended health benefits and wanting to get our profession known even when we still struggle with public awareness and, and the public understanding the role of occupational therapy. And I think that being explicit about change agency is one of the ways that we'll get there. Yeah, I was about to chime in and say it sounds like the reflection I'm hearing from both of you is about just being more explicit with it. So identifying or acknowledging that we are change agents. I think, you know, going back to the question, is it possible to practice as an OT and not engage in change agency? It sounds like the answer is no, but we just need to be become more comfortable labeling it for what it is. We are change, change agents, whether we're working with a client or beyond. Um, we're kind of that catalyst for change, whether we're going against the grain or we're pushing something forward that's already in motion, kind of just using our our place as in our place and power as a privilege and really trying to push things forward any way that we can. Um, but then also acknowledging that if we're the black sheep, that that's really hard to do. It's hard to step forward into a space with the confidence that, you know, you can have an impact here, but you don't want to be. Um, an outcast because of it. So I think it's a, a balance and there are a lot of OTs out there doing ama amazing work in change agency, whether they call it that or not, I think. 
Um, so we have a couple minutes left here. I'm going to wrap us up with a final question for you to share your thoughts on. Um, and we've touched on it a little bit, so there may be a little bit to add still. Um, but what can we learn from the past regarding our role as change agents? And then how will this be reflected, do you think, in the next, say, 100 years of our profession? I, I guess for me, I feel like it's an evolution. And I feel like it's maybe for OT, is it a, I don't know, is it a slower evolution than maybe in other professions, right? We've been around a, a while. I as well think I mean, OTs are the bomb and basically we can do anything, um, right? Like Justine, like you were saying, we can work in, in every aspect of life, right? Occupation is so central to everything. And I really do just think it's an amazing profession. It, I think when I was listening to you both um, just a few minutes ago talk, you know, the, the word that keeps popping into my brain is confidence. And is that something, you know, as OTs being that, We've struggled with awareness of our profession, for example, um, with things like having extended health benefits for OT and, and there's other challenges just inherently with the profession. Does that impact maybe even on an individual level our confidence as OTs, right? And I think that we're just, I feel like there's so much more awareness now, even though it is still a challenge. I feel like here in, in the Yukon, for example, the number of people who I speak to who know what OT is, it's it's really impressive now. So that gives me hope. And I think with social media and with just with everything going on, um, it's giving us more of, of an opportunity. Um, and so uh, I don't know, I think for the future, what what I just hope for our profession is that we can continue to collaborate and work together and really build our confidence, both individually and and as a group, as a profession, to, to be able to build awareness and to be able to effect change, really. Yeah, I completely agree, Melissa, with the with the word confidence. I think that you know OT has often. I think we see ourselves as the underdog, or we're often the quieter profession, even though most of us aren't <laughs> by nature. But I think I think that that confidence in healthcare has has really been a challenge for us. And I think that that's maybe even made it harder to engage in change agency, because if your voice isn't known and heard in the first place and you're trying to effectuate big change, it's not going to be easy. And so really being able to stand firmly in our identity is huge. And so I, I you know, I've seen tremendous improvement even I've, you know, I've only been in the profession for 12 years, but I've seen dramatic improvement in, in since I've graduated in terms of how OTs are accepted on teams and, you know, being on primary care teams, emergency department teams, um, working with paramedics. I mean, there's just so many incredible areas. I'm talking with OTs every day, working in very new areas, maternal health, working on farms, sustainable um, food and landscaping. And, and it's incredible to see the scope in which our profession is, is branching into. But I do think it takes confidence in our identity and in what we have to offer. And, and I think that you know, we will probably thrive as change agents in the future if if we do feel grounded in who we are. So I do see that as the beacon for the next 100 years. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think 
we should have you on for part two where we like go through examples and I feel like I could listen to you both talk about this in a lot more detail but um, again I just want to thank you both so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts and insights and at this point if you have anything else to add feel free um, otherwise stay tuned because I feel like this may lead to another conversation for sure um, so again thank you Justine and thank you Melissa Thank you so much, Holly. I'm just going to remind our listeners, if you're interested in being on the podcast, reach out to practice at caot.ca. We'd love to have you on. Thank you both so much. This was such a great opportunity. Thanks for joining us and uh, stay tuned for episode number six.